64, Reds beat the Raw. Hey, that's our new bingo slogan. But unfortunately, this isn't episode 64. It's episode 64.1 of the Night Shift Football Podcast. We're here to talk about Adelaide United securing finals after a, a lovely 2-0 win. A lovely 2-0 win on Saturday night under the cool breeze of Highmark Stadium, under the lights. Uh, good night. Good game of football. Tommy's on the, on the, on the other end of the line. Uh where are we going to start with this one, man? I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to have to book flights to for the inevitable semi-final and then the grand final. Um, it's probably going to be Melbourne, isn't it? I think I've got some flight credits up my sleeve. We're going to spend a couple of weekends in uh, Victoria watching Adelaide United bring home the toilet seat. <laughs> uh, not for me, but uh, you know, if you're willing to, you're willing to take that punt and go for it. I might hitchhike there just to try and <clears throat> just to try yeah, and save that's some safe. Funds. That's safe. Do that. Yeah, we'll go with the traveling contingent back. Yeah. I'm sure there's some Victorians still trying to escape back over the border. Um, we'll jump into this one. I'll tell you what, the uh, this is a pretty, pretty thorough, fairly thorough performance from Adelaide. I thought uh, some people might disagree, but I felt like for 62, I can pinpoint the moment, actually. <laughs> I can pinpoint it to 62 minutes. Um, wow, what happened? <laughs> well, up until that point, I thought we were very thorough. We were dominant. We were keeping the ball, absolutely dominating the ball, um, creating chances. Midfield just linking up really well with the forwards, fullbacks getting on, linking up as well. I had um, last week on my, when I was just clicking through YouTube, the video came up of the, it's like a highlight package of the 2000 and. I want to say 11, 2011 Champions League final, the one where okay. uh, at Wembley, where Barcelona, Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi just pretty much single, like the four of them kept the ball off Man United and just took the absolute piss out of them. That's what I thought I was watching at High Marsh. It was I like, like that. It was, I love where this is going. It was incredible. I was loving it. Just the calmness on the ball, but then the press to win it back so quickly and then just keep it. Brisbane had absolutely nothing. And then at the 62-minute mark, we scored a third goal, which was ruled out because the ball would cross the line. Um, and then we took off Brook and we took off Ibasuki at the same time. And we replaced Brook with Cavallo, which moved Blackwood into a striker role and Cavallo in behind and Ibasuki off for Bernardo, who went out onto the wing. And from there on, we looked, it was kind of like Perth all over again. It looked really shaky and we had to really grind it out. Yeah. I like that you described it as lovely because <clears throat> we haven't had too many results. The only one I can think of was when we beat Wellington at home convincingly three or four nil earlier in the season. And there hasn't been too many occasions where you've just felt really settled and composed watching Adelaide United. You get a two nil lead after half an hour and you think, Against, you know, a bottom two side. And, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh my God, if we're, if we're a good team, we just meander this game out. We take the points. We don't expend too much energy. Everything should be fine. And like you said, it was like that up until the changes. And then we've decried this in the past, Josh Cavallo coming in at the attacking midfield role. And Blackwood, you know, as the focal point, is not as effective as he is as like a secondary striker or 
What's your opinion on this? Blackwood and Ibasuki up front together. Although Blackwood isn't, he's more a 10. Oh, it's Blackwood playing. It's Blackwood playing as a 10. Yeah. And I think the the way they interchange is almost as if both of them are playing up front and in the 10. Do you know what I mean? uh, Yeah. It was just rotating. It's just simple football. Mm. One comes in, the other drops into the space. Um, but, but how then, often how often do you see it with those two big target men occupying both of those roles? What I think Blackwood is like you you can't fall into the trap of thinking someone is a target man just because of their height. Like um, George Blackwood isn't really a target man at all. He kind of because he, he's mobile, but he he's not the sort of player you're looking to to hold the ball up against two defenders and bring it down out of the air and like spray a pass out to the winger or something like that. I think that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> I just I think there's kind of like a unique difference when you have the six foot five Ibusuki drop in a little bit deeper. He takes the number one central defender, maybe takes the second central defender, and then you leave another aerial presence, a guy that actually he can throw his body around when the ball comes in over over the top. And I just I don't think there's a dynamic like that in the A League, and it's a very interesting thing to watch teams having to try and deal with in a way that. You know, if you don't have four really stout, strong, aerial present uh, defenders in your back four, you're, like, you're going to be in a lot of trouble playing Adelaide United when they play Ibu and Blackwood up top. Yeah, maybe. I don't think... Um, I mean, He's Blackwood... got goals with his head, Blackwood, definitely. Yeah, he does. He's got six now for the year, I think, Blackwood. Um, Ibasuki has the same in since January, since he came in, or February, January, February. Um, One of them. But... Blackwood, I don't know, his effectiveness isn't like, it's kind of, I don't know. I think it was just helped out by Craig Goodwin was really good again. He was, yeah. And Lockie Brook, I thought, was excellent. Um, and he just, when he comes in, Lockie Brook does that thing where he comes into almost a 10 position to get on the ball. Mm-hmm. And then when he gives it off, he peels out wide again. Uh, I think that probably makes up for what Blackwood lacks as a as a natural 10. You know, I'd still, I'd still be wanting to get a proper playmaker in there to play that role. Yeah, because you imagine what like a Ulysses de Villa could do in that position with Goodwin, Brook, Ibasuki in front of him. You just, or, you know, you get a prime Flores or Karuska in that position with these guys. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking absolute pandemonium. Like these guys would yeah, absolutely, absolutely destroy most teams. But I kind of, the more we go on and we have like talked so much shit about this team throughout the season. And now we're here, we're in a position, we've made the finals. We could be top four. We could have a home final. We're definitely the best of the rest outside of Victoria. I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of feeling warm towards these players now. I'm kind of seeing their quirks and their flaws. And, you know, I'm just trying to channel them all into a way that Adelaide United can come out successful this season. And the combination of Blackwood Ibasuki with Goodwin Brook, and then you can play the double pivots as well. You can play one day Izzy in there behind because you've got enough defensively structure. You've got enough where you can just send the ball long to try and hold the ball up. And you've got enough where you can bring the wide man in. Yep. If that's not working, you've got Bernardo, you've got Yangi who's back now. You've obviously got Iron Kunda that can come off the bench. Yep. Bro, I don't know. I'm daring to dream. And it's going to come back to buy me. But, you know, it's, if we beat Western United on the weekend, there's no one that we can't beat in this division, personally. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we'll beat Western United this weekend. I'm not... I've kind of... Now that we've wrapped up a, f- a final spot, I'm not too. Everything from here is kind of a bonus, I guess. Mm-hmm. See how it goes because I, the way we've played for most of this season, 
I think it's it's a miracle we are where we are. Um, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, though, the table doesn't lie. So you know, we always we talk about it on our European pod a bit, but like you know, we are we more interested in the brand or the results? Um, it's easy to say the brand, but then when you get the results, uh, that's also kind of fun too. So. <laughs> you know, I reckon in that context, the brand matters more for the European football, but the results matters more for us because this is the thing that we go to every week. This is the thing we are more. Someone asked me again on the weekend, they're like, "Oh, you like football, right, right? Who do you support?" And the first team I always say is Adelaide United. Yeah, because that that is the team that I am most personally invested in. And so I guess you can, in that respect, you know, excuse poor performances or you know, not you know, the prettiest brand of football when it does win you football matches and you blood kids and you play a certain philosophy with the club and you finish fourth in the league, which is just, it's crazy, man. Every season we have made demonstrable progress from seventh to sixth to fifth to fourth. Now we're actually going somewhere. And I think you can see that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, enjoy it while we can. Enjoy <laughs> it. what do you think of? It... Yeah, go on. What do you think of Ibasuki's finish on the weekend? Pretty good. Yeah, great. Just, uh, just classy. He was. Hey, he's, he's slowed, been excellent. He slowed he, it down. He had a great game again. Just his some of his hold up play and his thing up. He had a lot of chances as well in the air, but he just couldn't. We kind of a lot of our crosses we did get to him were uh, he was kind of having to generate a lot of the power himself, mm-hmm. which is always that's always much harder to score from that. So he's kind of generating the power, but then. In doing that, you're not as accurate, I guess, and the keeper has kind of more time to set up. Um, he hit a few straight out the keeper too. Um, yeah, he was great. His goal was excellent, uh, as was Blackwood's. Both both goals, once again, coming from uh, create, uh, created by Craig Goodwin. Facilitated right and left foot. So I just always want to point that out. He is not just a primarily left-footed football of Craig Goodwin. No. Because he can do both feet. He can do everything. He is. <laughs> is he Johnny Johnny Warren medal contention now? Surely. The last half of your season has just been outstanding. Like three votes most weeks, you would imagine. Yeah. Um, he, what, he was excellent again without hitting the score sheet directly. Um, Ryan Kittle, I think, is probably worth a mention. I thought he had a pretty good game as well. I had a few people message me actually to say that they thought Ryan Kittle had a decent game. He... Apart from, I would say that the dumb fouls he gives away, he gave away some just idiotic frees that were really frustrating and had no real need to. Um, so that made just like overzealous trying to win the ball back and just just being silly, really. But other than that, excellent again. Javi Lopez uh, was Javi Lopez, you know. So Brilliant. yeah, did will his, be, will, did his job. He he will be Adelaide United's player of the season. He won't because Craig Goodwin will be. I mm, yeah, I can test that still. I think we should we definitely put a six pack bet on that. We can um, put a six pack on it right now. All right, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think Craig Goodwin wins it. Yeah, Lopez yeah, Lopez second. wins it. Yeah, vice versa. Um, we have Delianov back in training, potentially ready for selection. Uh, you know, Joe Joe Gauchy does divide opinion, but I I think he does make a lot of good one on one saves, and he makes a lot of important saves in important moments of matches. He has his brain farts and he's been sent off this season, nonetheless. Would you bring in Delianov straight away or would you let Gauchi play? No, I think it's Gauchi for the season now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not writing off Delianov at all. I'm keen to still see more of Delianov. Um, yeah. But Gauchi for the rest of the season from here. 
Yep, you get, I would too. I'll give um, him Joe. Same, I, same I with like uh, Bar and Popovich. Yes, exactly. That's exactly where I was leading into this. That has to be the you know the four the back three basically Gauchi, Bar, Popovich from here in. Look, I think the team pretty much picks itself at this point, and I wouldn't. The team that started on the weekend is the team I'd probably be going with. Even like even with Blackwood in there, because we just don't really have another option to play that that role that's had. Like in in reality, Excuse George me. Blackwood has. Off? In reality, George Blackwood has been the most effective. As much as he hasn't been hugely effective, he's been the most effective of all the players we've played in that position this season. He has. He totally so, has. And, I, you know, the your Bernardos and your Aaron Kunders and stuff, they still look great as a weapon off the bench, not necessarily starting. I thought Bernardo kind of struggled when he came on. But, yeah, back to your point about selection going through for the rest of the season, I'd be... I'd be picking the 11 that started that game. Yep. I think that's a great point. And you look at the bench, you've got Yangi coming back as well. Imagine those three, Aaron Kunda, Bernardo, Yangi to come off the bench. Joy's uh, at 70 minutes, triple sub if you need a result. Yep. There it is. Um, yeah. I just, I like the balance of the squad at the moment, the balance of the 11, I should say. It looks, you know, with Zach Clough out, it does really look like a menacing proposition. And like you yeah. said, it was funny because Blackwood in, um, he got the, post-match press conference duties like during training during the week and he made the point that he scored five goals in eight starting appearances and yep. i thought that was a funny way to frame it because he hasn't scored all of his goals when he started but nonetheless he feels like he has contributed massively and it, it does in that context sound like he has i think uh i think i have mentioned on here before about a, 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 a don't mind george blackwood as a guy but he does come across he does this this ego stuff comes out in him a fair bit, and you know when he you see him score and he'll do a celebration that's a bit kind of provocative to the the his own fans or something, or you know um, he's got that trait in him, and he's not really a good enough player to have that trait in him. But if he keeps scoring goals, good on him. But uh, you know I don't begrudge the guy, I don't mind him, but you know he's just yeah. He's, he's George Blackwood. That's what he is. He is George Blackwood. <laughs> yep. He's an enigma and you can't really write him out of Adelaide United folklore this season because he's been involved in a lot. Forever. Because <laughs> he may disappear next season and come back in two more. So, you know, you just never I would know. bank on it. I would totally bank on it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to add on this game. Um, my last little note was that we the other week we talked about when our Hassan Toure came on and he got booed. But, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was much lesser this week, but <laughs> Nikola Milosnitch came on. <laughs> no, did they boo him? And well, it was around. There was a few people, but it was one of those like you know the guy had left to go to Europe or whatever. He went to Europe, didn't he? And it just yeah, he went over. I believe he did. Europe. Yeah, yeah. And it just didn't work out. Um. And he came back and Brisbane offered him a contract. I don't believe we did, but Brisbane did. He took it. Even if we did, like give the, lots of people didn't like him anyway. And now they boo him when he's not playing for us. So it makes I thought that was no bizarre. sense. It makes um, no sense at all. Yeah, you're right. He's another victim of just like, you know, when Steph Mork used to come back, yeah. that is a guy that you should be booing. Like, yeah. Um, you know, when Flores came back, when he played for victory, that's a guy you should be booing. When Scotty Jamison comes back, boo the fuck out of that guy. Steven Lustica. Yeah, Lustica, you know, the lot. Screw those people. Um, 
I do re- have given the given the rinse. If I can sway you a bit though with Go this, all right. As much as you and I agree that the booing players like that is completely pointless and dumb, part of me really loves it as an Adelaide thing. <laughs> like you know how we talked about yeah, last okay. week we talked about Adelaide people just having this kind of chip on their shoulder. Um, part of me really loves this kind of Adelaide culture of like, fuck everyone that's not us, you know? Okay. And I feel yes. like that definitely is a Hindmarsh Stadium thing. And that, that I don't know, it, it's probably arbitrary, but I feel like it is like a piece of the whole coming to Hindmarsh. You come to Hindmarsh Stadium, our crowd is pretty feral. <laughs> we get rowdy. <laughs> Beryl is in there, get really lippy in the stands. The referee cops a wall of abuse, whether he's had a good game or a bad game. He's copping it coming off. The opposition are copping it from over the fence in every corner. Um, Players who we didn't offer a contract to and have taken one somewhere else are (laughs) copping it when they come on. Like, we just, it's a real fuck everyone that's not us attitude. And part of me really respects that. Yeah, and no, you've you've sold it to me. Sorry, Nico. Fuck you, man. I don't <laughs> care. I do not care that you didn't want to come back or we didn't give you a deal. It doesn't matter. Uh, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have come on against us. That's your problem. Yeah. You should have called in sick. Ah, <laughs> uh, stay in Brisbane, you dog. Poor old Nico. We love Nico. Better glad we do love Nico. No, he's a great footballer. I think. Oh, not great. He's a great A League footballer because he scored some goals for Brisbane this season. Yeah, he's an, he's an okay A League footballer. I think. Mm. He, he, um, he played 21 games at Randers, so he definitely went overseas. Right. We better keep this thing moving. What have you got for me next? Yes. Yes. There was a couple of um, couple of good articles during the week, but I think we just kick it off with all three A-League teams being knocked out of the Asian Champions League once again. Yeah. Sammy, is this an issue or is it not an issue? It's an issue. An issue I think, why, well... Because we don't really care. Uh, yeah, we care well, that's, as a nation I, about I this care. competition. Personally, I care. I think this, for me, this is part of a bigger thing about Asian football in general, where mm-hmm. Asian football, I think, doesn't seem to give a fuck about the Champions League. Oh, and more I, generally, okay. yeah. When you look at the you look at the crowds and stuff at Asian Champions League games, and it's like, pardon me. I wonder why they just they don't see this as like the Asian equivalent of what happens in Europe. Obviously, it's not going to be the same quality, but you can still make it that with like fan culture and no one seems to do it. And I think that maybe has an effect on teams' willingness to compete in it as well. I think there's been a bit of that definitely in the last two or three years with the COVID shenanigans going on and the fact that all of these clubs had to play in hubs over like a three-week period and stuff like that. Prior to that, though, and the emergence of nations like Vietnam and Thailand and, you know, Singapore and, and you know, nations coming out of uh, teams coming out of these nations. They are the guys that are bringing forward the 10,000, 20,000 voice or uh, like vocal crowds, the ones that are actually trying to impose themselves on the Asian game, which is unfortunate because you can get to see that this season. What you really saw was a bunch of cashed up Chinese teams pulling themselves out because they're on the verge of bankruptcy or are bankrupt. Yep. There are just a slew of Chinese Super League teams that now no longer exist. Guangzhou Evergrande, I think, no longer exist. Uh, Liangyang don't exist no longer. Lots of these teams that Australian clubs have come up against. And so you are 
poised delicately in the Asian Champions League between spending too much and not receiving enough in um, like prize money and funding for winning it versus not giving a fuck about this tournament, not opening up the full stands, you know, not spending money on your team in order to compete in this competition. I just think it's really interesting that Australian media pundits really try and push for Australian teams to be more competitive, to be better in the Asian Champions League. And they kind of use this as a way to vessel their own motives, like scrap the salary cap or, you know, no need to have uh, caps on uh, foreigners or stuff like that. And it was like, <clears throat> it was like the Robbie Cornthwaite tweet during, in the wake of this. He thinks we should scrap the cap because Melbourne City couldn't get through despite not losing a game in the Asian Champions League. But that doesn't seem like the solution to me. That's not the solution at all. They're, like, like you said, like you're alluding to there, they're the three, the three most <laughs> resourceful clubs in the A-League are, you know, been knocked out. So it's nothing to do with salary cap. They're just, uh, yeah, I don't know. They just produce shit. They don't seem to care. Um, I, yeah, I don't really know where to go. I didn't see any of the Champions League this year at all. So um, I can't really help you with this one. <laughs> it's We're just in a sticky situation because they they talk about coefficient ranking and, you know, only the A-League winner now is going to be able to qualify directly for the Champions League and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you got to, like you said, what, what does the Asian Champions League do for us? Yeah. They don't really do anything. They don't even... They've only just started to allow our current champions to compete in the next tournament. Like for so long, yeah. they almost put a roadblock in our way to be able to compete properly. They still don't have proper prize money for this. And such is the width and breadth of Asia that yeah. you don't it's really expensive get, for these clubs expensive. to play. And you don't but you don't get really an equitable tournament because the Middle Eastern clubs play each other all up and all up until the quarterfinal. The Southeast Asian nations plus Australia play each other all up until the quarterfinals, and then you get this mesh of clubs. Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like an equitable competition, and it's not one that I really care for. I like it when we're in it, and I'll go and watch it. But at the same time, I don't care if we win or lose. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's the thing. I love it when we're in it because I love midweek Hamash football. But uh, I think you know i would love it if we were just playing friendlies against local npl sides i just i just like midweek football so in yeah. that sense i guess i don't <laughs> really football. care if it's champions league or not i just like seeing adelaide play football yeah. um that's yeah, not to so. say like we get the wider picture here we get the broader yeah. understanding that it's better for the game if we can be more engaged in the continental championships but i i actually think the asian champions league would be better suited to a super league type competition yeah and if they wanted okay. to explore an idea like that, by all means, go for it. All right. What do you got next? Well, I don't know about you, Sam, but I read something really disturbing during the week. Really, really disturbing. Yeah. It kind of, it just, it was like earth shattering, spine tingling. It was like dimensions ripped apart. Somehow you and I have fallen on the same page as one Robbie Slater. Gross. Gross. How often have we spent this year just ripping this man to shreds? Uh, many, many times we many have spent episode. many times we've spent many minutes, probably too many episodes. Um, and yet somehow here we are falling on the same page as this guy in regards to what we were talking about last week, the quality of the A-League this season. Have you seen this article? 
I've glanced at it. Had a little look. Uh, Robbie Slater, not too pleased with the um, quality, the competition. And, you know, he uses some anonymous sources to back himself up here. He quotes unnamed people in saying that they are too unhappy with the quality, the standard, the organization and structure of the A-League. It's making it a less desirable product. You factor in Paramount Plus, the fact that, you know, even existing fans of the game aren't really tuning into matches outside of their own particular teams. You know, it's a poorly written article, but at the same time, the sentiment I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah, I do agree with it. Sadly, I agree with Robbie Slater, the guy with more Premier League medals than Steven Gerrard. Um, <laughs> I, how is that a thing? Um, That's how we should be introduced forever but, and ever. But yeah, uh, I, I do agree with him. I don't really, I don't really feel the need to really dive into it again because I think we've spent plenty of time on that in the last few weeks. We've bitched and moaned about the A League this season feeling like one of the worst, and um, I, I guess I'm glad we're not alone. But I'd rather be alone than be coupled with Robbie <laughs> Slater. With Robbie, I know what have we done. Yeah. I think there was one pertinent question that he asked in the article, and it was, um, "What is going to be different when they kick off next season?" And I just, I wondered if you had any, any kind of inkling as to what you would prefer to see next season that would make you maybe more engaged with the other A-League games. Uh, I'm not sure there's anything they could do that would make me more engaged. That's, it's on me as a spectator of the game and a lover of the sport to get engaged. I just haven't this year because of, you know, other circumstances and other, you know, other lines of work and things like that. Um, it's up to A-League fans to get around the A-League for starters. Where's everyone gone? We're all still here. We're just not tuning in. I think Paramount has a lot to do with it, like I've said other weeks. As for next season, I think the number one thing I'd be looking at is fixturing. I understand yeah. they had to make up a lot of catch-up time this year because of the the delayed start, because of the delayed ending of last season. Uh, but that should be back to normal. So hopefully we're looking at what, like an October start again, mm-hmm. uh, September, October. And then, you know, without all the Tuesday games and Thursday games and Wednesday night, I mean, yeah. I don't mind the odd Wednesday game. That works okay in the middle of the week. But like Tuesday nights, Monday nights, uh, it's it's a killer for crowds. So it And that kind of makes it a killer to watch on TV as a spectacle. Exactly. That, no, you're exactly right. What we need to see, if you're going to watch it as a television product, you need to see people in the stands. And so you're exactly right. There's a game, there was a game going on when we started recording tonight, uh, Tuesday the 3rd, the Mariners versus Brisbane or something random. Who Like, who knows that it was on, number one? Who knows what the result is? Like, and I think for me, the number one thing I would want to see change is Paramount's involvement. I, they just, they really need to take this by the scruff of the neck. And I think they need to start, competing properly with the other codes and actually scheduling football at an afternoon kickoff on a Saturday. Cause at yep. the moment, and especially this weekend, we've got, I think we've got the big, do we have the big blue and another F F three Derby? There's like, I think it's Newcastle versus the Mariners. And I think it may be Melbourne versus Sydney on the weekend. And they're all, they're kicking off both at the same time on Saturday night, at 7.45 PM. Uh, when's this? So on, on uh, yeah, we've got, the F3 Derby and the Sydney v Melbourne victory, I refuse to call it the Big Blue, are both on at 7.15 Adelaide time. <laughs> there you go. 
but why would you have these two? And like the F3 Derby is such a brilliant football match. They had it a couple of weeks ago. This is just due to scheduling again. It kind of takes the pizzazz out of it, but yeah. it's such a brilliant game. And it's it probably the closest proper Derby that we have in Australian football or in the top division of Australian football. Yeah. Why would you not differentiate this from Melbourne City? Like, it just seems like if you had Jets Mariners at 3 p.m. and then you had Sydney Victory at 7.15 or whatever you wanted to have it at, that would be a way better way to market and profit, like try and profit the game, but they don't do it. Yeah. Uh, It's like the, it's not just like the clashes as well, but just some of the, the kickoff times that seemingly for no reason are just stupid. Like I believe this Friday, Thursday, Thursday, Western Sydney play Wellington and it's at 6.30, wow. 6.35 Adelaide. That's Adelaide time. Yeah. So that's a six, a 6.05 kickoff on a weeknight in Sydney. Why can't that be 7 or 7.30 their time? Why does that... Why does it have to be 6.30? Who's scheduled that? And for what reason? What's on after it? What's like, there's nothing, no reason. What's going on? Yeah. Completely ridiculous. Uh, And there's been a lot of that shit this year. We've had Wednesdays with like five o'clock kickoffs. Like why? Who who the hell is getting their family off to the A-League at five o'clock on a Wednesday? Whenever, when people work and people have school and things. Just absolutely ridiculous. Doesn't make any sense. And it's, you know. Crowds, I think they only have themselves to blame. Yeah, fair. No, totally fair. Like It would be good to see crowds go up, but I just think, moreover, we just need a more succinct package that is sold to the public, and that is what we should be working towards next season. Without any COVID interruptions, let's see how we go. And Adelaide United uh, Championship will probably do wonders for the league, to be honest with you. It would. It would. Speaking of Adelaide United, do you want to roll through this one last article quickly? Uh, yeah, we can get through this quickly. Yep. Uh, shout outs, Antonis Pagonis, because he wrote a very good article on the Inner Sanctum this week, uh, documenting Piet van der Poel's ups and downs, uh, his era. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk in the works. I'm still not entirely sure it's been confirmed. A lot of people telling me it has been confirmed he's sold his stake or the, the managing stake of yep. which him and his enterprise controlled to a Victorian controlled consortium who are looking to invest more into South Australian sport. I think they're in the 36s and stuff like that. We've been over this. Yeah. But he wrote a really good article about just kind of trying to map out what he did well and what he didn't do well over his career or his time with Adelaide United. And so if you roll through the goods, he starts off with repairing relationships. And in that state, he means repairing Adelaide United's relationship with South Australian football more generally. So we're talking youth development. We're talking uh, state league clubs, the fan groups as well, who had perhaps been alienated during the Greg Griffin times. I was just wondering, roll through these. What do you think? Do you think Pierre van der Poel has managed to repair relationships within South Australia and Adelaide United? Uh, Yes. And I think even more broadly with other clubs, clubs and kind of you know in dealing in dealing in business football talk transfers and things like that recruiting i think yeah definitely and there was also a good point where he they raised the, you know they brought back club legends in bruce Jutte to be uh football director and yeah. calvier to manage it et al 
the legends matches that have become a feature of the Anzac Day celebrations are really fun to watch as well. So I think that's a good point, and they have definitely done that um, done that well. Second one is taking the plunger McGree, which was probably a big outlay for the time in order to buy him back from Club Bruges in order yeah. to on sell him again. Uh, really astute footballing move, personally. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Uh, great move on that part. Uh, frustrating that we then couldn't just sell him like the American club was able to just sell him. Yeah, uh, we could have cut out that middleman and sold him ourselves, but that's that's a broader problem for Australian football. That's probably not anything on Adelaide United's part. Yeah, that's definitely an A League thing for sure. Um, and shout out Riley McGree too. He scored two goals in two games now, so good on him. Deflect King, Deflect King. Yeah, can he score a goal on target by himself? Doesn't matter. He's scoring goals. Riley McGree is on fire. Uh, the third point: embracing South Australia and shaping a sustainable football operation structure. We've been over this many a time. And it's that point you played in before about the cauldron that is Hindmarsh, the fact that you can encourage a vibrancy in an atmosphere when teams come here to say, fuck off, you're not from South Australia. We don't want you here. Yeah. You've had your day out, now fuck off home. And that, <laughs> love that. That, is what I, that is what I love about South Australia. That's what I love about this team at the moment. And yeah. I feel like that's, I feel like he has fostered that and engaged that very well. No, agree. All right, so there's some bad, there's some bad. The investment compared to what was promised. Now, do you remember way back when, when they took over and the pie in the sky dreams they had for marquees, foreign uh, signings worth a million dollars that were going to come in and break open the A-League? Do you remember this? Do you remember I these do because I really remember my skepticism about it. You know, for a club that has always punched above its weight, to have these kind of things dangled in front of us, it just it definitely looked like the stick rather than the carrot. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, they obviously they failed in that area, but I'm not too upset about it. I like the way we go about our business at the moment, so uh, no problems for me on that front. There was also the head scratches that came along with it. You know, the random signings of uh, Jordi Thomason and Yongbin Chen and the anonymity of the club's investors. There has been a lot of secrecy and kind of odd backroom deals that have infiltrated the playing squad and the staff. That kind of thing. Um, I don't know. For me personally, um, that it almost trumps all of the good that they've done. I just, I don't really enjoy. I think the, like the... Um... The anonymous owner kind of thing uh, doesn't bother me too much. I mean, like, what if at, they were Russian, Sam? What if? <laughs> <laughs> what if? Um, the the signings, I can forgive all when they're like. Sometimes when you're recruiting players, sometimes you swing and you miss. Every club does it. Man United does it. Arsenal does it. They, every club swings and misses with recruitment. The only one I don't really forgive is the was it Chen mm. uh, was never ever going to play A League football for a, used up a foreign spot on that on a kid that never got near the first team. Uh, that triggers me a bit. That's that's someone doing a favor for someone to get out of blackmail. I think that's. Am I allowed to say that? We're going to be sued. No one's suing us. I got nothing. I don't think it's. I don't but, think yeah. it's defamation anyway. It was, uh, yeah, it's, well, it was, we a prove sh- it. it was a shit signing. <laughs> it was a terrible signing and should never have happened. But that's 
that'd be the 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 major blip. You reckon the major blip and major blip maybe wasn't sacking Marco Kurz in order to bring in uh, Gertrude Van Bake and put us through the misery that was those. Look, maybe the. And a half. <laughs> I think you could definitely argue that Kurtz wasn't uh, a good part of the culture here. He wasn't a good, yeah, exactly. Oh, he had to yeah. go, seemed like a shit bloke. Um, he did kind of seem like a shit you bloke. You and I yeah. had some good fun trolling people, defending him when that happened. But yeah, uh, we did. in the end, it was more that the <laughs> bake was a, uh, I'll stop there, but yeah, nothing more needs to be Let's just say a dud. a dud. Yeah. And I think that Kurt was another his, swing and a miss there. Yeah. Kurt showed his colors when he went to victory and failed within, what was it, 10 games? I but suppose. that's, you know, there's nothing sinister there. That's just swing and a miss coaching uh, or swing and a miss recruitment, sorry, as opposed to the the Chen signing, which is just flat up shit. But Verbeek was another one that was known to the ownership. And that's why he came into the club. He had previously yeah, coached the clubs he, that they had owned. So it seems like he was at least interest. Uh, he might, he's, he seemed to have, they've obviously think he's done all right at other clubs. I don't think, it doesn't seem like a jobs for the boys type gig. Mm, like see, I disagree. No, you're I much know. more cynical than I am. Yeah, I reckon that's definitely jobs for the boys. And that just seemed like a totally wasted season, unfortunately. Even though we did okay, actually, in the end. I think we still ended up making the finals. So. Yeah, we sucked. Look, that says more about the quality of the A-League than us. Uh, your verdict, to wrap it up, how do you think his error has gone? Uh, just stick with a, a good. A good. What was that, a six, a seven out of ten? We'll go a seven. Okay. Maybe okay. a high high six or seven. Okay. I think just, um, I mean, we've got, we've, we've got some silverware. We've got some cups. We uh, you know, I don't know how much of it you put down to like him though. That's the thing, you know, or how much of it just came from getting guys like Bruce and that back in, you know. So that's what I put it down to. Because I, I guess look, he put them there. So yeah, I suppose, and that is credit to him as well. I just I kind of look prior to that with Greg Griffin's reign, and I just I the the base that they set up at Playford and the kind of forward thinking that they, you know, the, the structures they put in place with youth development, stuff like that, that has kind of led us to where we are now is much more important in 10 years than will be Pierre van der Poel's decision to take out the blue and gray seeds to put red seeds in. That happened before that, didn't it? That happened well before that. The red seeds, I think. Yeah, I think that happened well before Pierre. I thought Pierre was the one that brought the red seeds in. I nah, think that, was I reckon, like, that was like a big thing when he came in. It was like, oh, cool. They've changed all the seats. Nah, I think it, I, I reckon someone, a listener might be able to help us out, but uh, mm. I've got a feeling that was well before Piet, the Red Seeds. I think maybe one thing we haven't mentioned as well is Piet probably had a big play in the uh, South Australian government proposal to get the stadium upgraded for the Women's World Cup too. He mu- yeah, they so must have had some sort of involvement in that. Bonus marks for that. Bonus marks for that. If he was involved, if you weren't yet, take the take them off yourself. Yeah, I'll give him five shadowy associate uh, associates and a pint at the pub. Yeah, that might do. We might wrap it there. Good article, enjoyed that. Um, yeah, that's sixty four point one. Join us. We got what one more regular season game Sunday afternoon at High Marsh. We'll see you all there, and then it's finals time, baby. So we'll see how we go.